What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It's Monday, August 29th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here once again with co-host and producer Nick Janusa. Nick, happy Monday and happy last episode of August. Wow. What a summer it's been. Thank you guys for listening all summer long. It's been great. I can't believe we're even here. Dog days of summer is always just kind of a depressing time, to be honest. But you know what? It's Monday. Get up and get at them. And we have a three-day weekend, most of us, coming up soon. So if you're not stoked about this week and your Monday's not going great, just remember next Monday will hopefully be better if you're off from work. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that three-day weekend is next week. Or this this Friday, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I we're recording this in advance, but I have a fantasy draft this weekend. So Monday morning, draft is over. I'm just going to assume that we are looking good and I'm going to repeat as champion in my main league. So (laughs) we can hope you can hope. And you can also hope for like no preseason injuries that are just like, why are they playing this guy? That's always the most frustrating thing. It's like a guy getting injured. That's why we always wait to draft. We always draft right at the end of the preseason. Yep. All right. The pre-episode's over. And with that, we're going to get right into the regular season of this podcast. (laughs) Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. And rate and review the show wherever you can and make sure that you share our show with your friends. Yeah, if you are lucky enough to have friends, plural, (laughs) and you're not sharing them this episode or this show in general, are you really being a good friend? Probably not. The answer is probably not. And if you want to be a good friend to Nick and me, help us out. Comment on our TikTok videos. Even something like, hey, this was good. It helps. Because the more comments, the more likely TikTok is to promote our videos. So boost us in your algorithm. Even if you just say good, that's it. That's all I need to see is good. Drop your favorite emoji and I'll like it and respond. (laughs) There you go. All right, let's do this thing. People have probably heard the joke, I guess, or speculation that one day an earthquake is going to make California float off the coast of the U.S. Well, an extreme environmental disaster is probably coming to California, but it's not the one you're thinking of. The article in your show notes by Raymond Zong of the New York Times is titled The Coming California Megastorm. A different big one is approaching. Climate change is hastening its arrival. There's a growing threat that could face the entire state likely coming from Hawaii in a winter season where tropical air around the equator sends water vapor and high winds towards the west coast of the U.S. The vapor plume is projected to be hundreds of miles wide and more than 1,200 miles long with ferocious winds and so much water that if you converted it all to liquid, it would be 26 times how much water the Mississippi River dumps into the Gulf of Mexico at any given moment. Jeez. As this torpedo of moisture, as the author calls it, hits the West Coast, it'll be forced upwards by hitting the mountains. 
This will then cool the vapor and kick off weeks of rain and snow. For a state that often experiences drought, this superstorm will be way more water than the state can handle. The author writes, because of climate change, this superstorm would be worse than any in living memory for the Pacific coast. As rain hits cities and towns, the hills around Los Angeles could get nearly two inches of rain per hour. This will impact the farming belt in the Central Valley as moisture continues to flow in from the ocean to the coast. This could lead to nearly 16 inches of rain on average in the state. And if you're like me, you have a really hard time visualizing that. Um, So to put it into perspective, one inch of rain on your average roof is going to be about 1,743 gallons of water. Wow. One inch of rain on your average football field. Nice. Yeah, that's 35,897 gallons of water. So we're talking about 16 inches of rain over most of the state. Some areas are going to be higher. Some are going to be lower, but some are going to get astronomical amounts of rain. We are talking about millions of gallons of water across California if this was to hit. Yeah, and this will impact farming, Hollywood, and the tech industry as it hits the entire state. The increased rainfall could become more of an issue than it sounds like, and it already sounds pretty bad. The author points out that the infrastructure design standards, hazard maps, and disaster response plans that protected California from flooding in the past might soon be out of date. And that's kind of the main issue with what climate change is doing to our weather systems. Like We have good infrastructure for the most part. A lot of it's outdated, but part of that is that climate change is sneaking up on us very, very fast. And a lot of our infrastructure is not prepared because some of these things were designed in, you know, we have houses that were designed in 1920, 1950, 1970, all before, you know, climate change was even a thought, right? The first paper about climate change was 1977. So to have this sort of thing potentially coming, of course our infrastructure isn't ready to handle it because why would it be? Because this was never a thought when some of these things were created. And that's the scary part for me. Yeah, and like, uh, we're actually about to talk about this, but the Oroville Dam crisis, Mm -hmm. talking about like infrastructure not being fit and all this stuff, like there was a plan projected in 2005, a proposal rejected, I should say, in 2005 to upgrade the spillway, which is which was vulnerable to erosion, and they were going to put in $100 million uh, to upgrade it to a concrete-lined auxiliary spillway, and it was rejected. Mm-hmm. And 12 years later, sure enough, the main spillway fails, and you have a complete collapse. Yeah, and that's kind of what we always get. I know you and I hammer this point home every single time we get a chance to, but yeah, it's going to be expensive to mitigate climate change. Yeah, it's going to be expensive to adapt to climate change. You know what's more expensive? Repairing an entire spillway that failed because we didn't invest in it early on when we noticed an issue. Yeah, and not even just that. Now you have loss of life. Now you have people who can't live in the same area that they were living in. Yeah. And you have like people displaced due to climate change. Like That's the worst part. Yeah, and it's tough when we have this foresight to say hey, this is going to happen soon. And then no one cares. No one does anything about it. 12 years later, like you said, you have this experience with the Oroville Dam where the spillway fails. Yeah. 
And that's going to keep happening more and more. And if a major megastorm like this one that's predicted hits California, you're going to have a lot worse problems than just the Oroville Dam spillway overflowing. Yeah, absolutely. So this hypothetical major storm we're talking about, researchers say it can be expected in California around once per lifetime. And frankly, we got lucky that we didn't see one in the 20th century. That is both a blessing and a curse because obviously it's good we didn't experience one. You know, you never want to experience a a megastorm that's going to put most of the state in jeopardy of, of some asset of their life. Sorry, some aspect of their life being at risk, right? Yeah. It's a good thing that that didn't happen. The reason I say it's partially a curse is because now people are almost like, yeah, that'll never happen. And they're not going to believe the, quote, alarmists who are telling them, hey, there's a major megastorm that's probably going to hit our state and we should really, really start preparing for it. Yeah, 100%. So the good news here is that unlike an earthquake, this sort of storm can be predicted between five to seven days in advance which will give people some time to evacuate if needed. Um, The issue is models can't always predict where the storms will hit or how intense they're going to be once they do hit land. Yeah, and the last time government agencies studied a hypothetical California mega flood, more than a decade ago, they estimated it could cause $725 billion in property damage and economic disruption. $725 billion sounds like a lot. And... If you are like me and can't visualize numbers like this, I mean, we just talked about how I can't picture rain. (laughs) So if you're like, oh, well, well, how much actually is $725 billion? That is over five times as much economic damage as Hurricane Katrina caused in 2005. This article goes on to talk about the Oroville Dam collapsing in 2017, like Nick said, um, 770-foot tall dam, and the spillway failed. That would go on to cause almost 190,000 people to receive an immediate evacuation order. Luckily, the emergency spillway was able to catch most of the water from this overflow, but crews did have to rebuild the spillway afterwards because, like we brought up, when this was originally said in 2005, hey, this is going to be a problem. Hey, this is really prone to erosion. Hey, this is going to fail. It was shrugged off as alarmist. Yeah, and like you can you could look at the title of this article and be like, "Oh, you know, it's it's not real. It's a hypothetical. It's not going to actually happen." Mm-hmm. This is a real thing that happened literally 5 years ago. Yeah. And 190,000 people were impacted. It could have been a thousand times worse. Yeah. There could have been major loss of life and they got lucky as hell. Yeah. So like the fact that we aren't already like eyes open about this issue is crazy. But now it's just like it furthers the point that like this is real and it could happen and it's going to happen. Yeah. And when it eventually does happen again, the spillway that was rebuilt is not going to be big enough to handle this megastorm. It could deal twice as much rain as 2017 did, which caused the spillway to fail the first time. So this article is quite a bit longer and it talks a lot more about what this could mean for the state. Similar situations that have occurred We are not going to delve into all of this just for time's sake on the podcast, but definitely check it out if this article is is piquing your interest. You know, it has really good visualizations done by the modeling. So go give a read if you'd like. Yeah, agreed. And climate change has already increased the likelihood of a storm like this hitting California to one in 50. 
But if the climate keeps warming another one degree Celsius, that jumps to one in 30. Yeah, and that's pretty alarming because as of today, the climate has warmed 1.1 degrees Celsius since industrial times. We're hoping to keep that under 1.5 degrees Celsius. Right now, we're on pace for 2.7. So if people don't get their act together, and by people, I mean the global leaders of the world. I mean your billionaires. I mean your corporations. I'm not talking to you individual who's listening to this podcast right now, but like we collectively as society need to get our act together because if we do hit 2.7, like we are currently on pace to the odds of this happening are going to be what one in 25 at that point. Yeah. Even less. Yeah. And we're, we're, yeah, you're right. We're not talking to the, to the, you, the listener, we're talking to nine minute flight, Elon, Mm -hmm. nine minute flight. That is painful yeah. you can drive get in a car have a taxi pick you up and go like dude he he has a self-driving car that doesn't have any emissions because it charges at his factory that like has enough solar panels to power it he has no excuse like yeah oh it's frustrating God. sorry go ahead keep going all right let's just give some credit where it's due the megastorm simulation is based on the a-r-k-h-i-s-t that's arkhist storm modeled by huang and swain science advances in 2022 a hypothetical statewide 30-day atmospheric river storm sequence over california with an approximately two percent likelihood of occurring each year in the present climate that sucks two percent's like more than it should be this is going to happen within the next 50 years chances are so buckle up and let's get ready to help people when they need help because they are going to need help yep 100 percent. all right we're going to take a quick break and when we get back we have another uh not so fun u.s climate projection coming your way stay learning today because you're not laughing Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the materials to store craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And before the break, we covered a megastorm that could come to California within the next few decades. Now we're going to talk about the American extreme heat belt that is projected by 2053. More fun stuff on the way for the continental United States. Between Wisconsin and Texas, people can expect dangerously high temperatures each summer, according to a new report from the nonprofit First Street Foundation released earlier in August. 
More than 100 million Americans will live with these hot summer temperatures by 2053, which will bring new and worsened health risks related to climate change. About 8 million people in the U.S. live in counties that are expected to reach above 125 degrees Fahrenheit or 52 degrees Celsius at some point in 2023, the report finds. But by 2053, those kinds of extremes could affect 107 million people in the country in an extreme heat belt, which would cover 25% of the United States. High temperatures can cause new health conditions in people and make existing health conditions worse. Listen, I am prone to hyperbole. I exaggerate quite a bit. I would be so miserable if it was 125 degrees. And I know, I know we have a few listeners in Florida and Texas. Shout out to you if you're listening that are like, Matt, come on, 100, 100 degrees, you can't handle it. Like that's, that's just summer in Florida. Yeah. That's just summer in Texas. Okay, fine. Maybe Florida has the, has the same case as us, but like the humidity in New York, if you give me that plus 125 degrees of straight up heat. Yeah. Like I will, I will not be able to, to, I, I would move honestly. Like if that's what to expect, I would not live here. I would find some cabin in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's terrifying. Like that would be almost impossible to do anything outside in. You definitely can't like exercise in that heat. There's, there's just no way. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm joking around like, oh, I would move. Right. There are people who, who definitely can't do that. And, and, you know, in hot summer weather like that, people face risks of heat related illnesses like heat exhaustion or even heat stroke, which can be fatal when the body's unable to cool itself down. So like, I'm joking about this thing. Like, oh yeah, I would move. This is a really serious issue that impacts a lot of people already. And it's going to impact a lot more people as the country continues to warm. So, you know, sometimes we deal with stuff like this with humor and it's just easier to make a joke out of it. But this isn't really a joking matter. Like people are going to die. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've seen that this summer already. So getting back to what you were saying about the heat related illnesses like heat exhaustion or even heat stroke. These effects can be especially dangerous for people like the elderly, young children, and those with pre-existing conditions like heart or respiratory disease. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's elderly, there's young people in every single community Yeah, all across this country. So, you know, this new extreme heat belt is going to include much of Florida, the southern east coast, Texas, all the way up to Wisconsin. So we're now crossing major cities like St. Louis like Chicago, there are guaranteed to be people with heart disease, respiratory diseases, or just people who are young, people with asthma, yeah, older people, people who are prone to pneumonia. Like there are going to be people with those pre-existing conditions that live in those places. So this is going to be a huge, huge issue for 25% of the country, which is so, so scary. It really is. So the heat index combines temperature with humidity to give you that feels like temperature on your weather apps on your phone. Uh, most of the country is going to see more days with a heat index above 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius by 2053. Large parts of Texas, Florida, and Louisiana could expect well over 100 days each year with 100 degrees Fahrenheit or higher heat indices. There's 365 days in the year. We're talking about one third of the year being over 100 degrees when you walk outside. 
Yeah, just just assassinate me. <laughs> Some places in the southern U.S. could see up to two straight months of temperatures over 100 degrees. And this will also lead to increased energy demand for people to stay cool. With heat this intense, it's not as simple as saying, save money, cut down your emissions, leave the AC off. It's not possible. It's not possible. People can die due to extreme heat, so the country can expect to spend a lot more money on energy for cooling by 2053. Yeah, and you know who I feel for the most here is the people who can't afford to keep their air conditioner running when it's this hot out. Like I know in New York, there's plenty of cooling centers where libraries, for example, that are funded by the city's taxes, like they can afford to keep their AC running all the time. So when it's super hot out, a lot of people say, just go to the library, check out a book and just read. And you know, you go to the library on a hot summer day, there's plenty of people there. And it's, it's, it's nice, but not everyone can do that. Not everyone's in that situation. So what do we do in, you know, rural areas where there isn't access to a major public library like I have in Manhattan. There isn't access to a public swimming pool. What do those people do? They either turn on their AC or they try to muscle through it. And this is not something you can just muscle through. Yeah, agreed. It's, it'll get to a point where you're, you're not going to be able to just cool off by taking a cold shower. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes, even like now, like in the summer, you, you take a cold shower to like, keep your body temperature down and then and you get out sweating yeah and then you just get out and you're like okay i'm hot again that was completely yeah. pointless there's just some temperatures you you can't fight you, you just need ac yeah and the thing about air conditioning is look the hope here is that by 2053 we are on 100 renewable energy so we're not contributing to further climate change by keeping our air conditionings on but before then in a year like 2032 you know 10 years from now We'll have much more renewable energy capacity than we have today, but we are going to have a higher energy demand because it's going to be hotter in a decade. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be at a point where people need to stay cool to stay safe, but that's fueling the very climate crisis that is making people fire up those air conditioners. Right. It's like a counterproductive system. Like, yeah, we're going to have more renewable energy, but well, now it's like 105 every single day yeah. in the summer. and we don't have the capacity. Yeah, and all of this is to say, look, there's going to come a time where we're on 100% renewable energy, and every time you turn on your air conditioner, you know that it's getting powered by the sun and by the wind and by hydroelectric dams, geothermal heat in the ground, right? That's coming. That is our future. Sounds like heaven. Exactly. But every year before then, we will not be on 100%. We're not going to be there until we get there. And that's basically saying to me, things are going to get worse before they get better. And that's not a cue to give up, Mm -hmm. right? That's not a cue to say, well, why don't we just say screw it and just keep using the fossil fuels? No, I want things to get better and things are going to get better. We just have to get through this next chapter, which is going to be hot and sweaty and dry. Then there's going to be mega storms. Like the the climate's going to get pretty rough and the earth is going to get back at humans for our hubris for a while and that sucks but it will get better yeah and like matt said before the world is on track to reach 2.7 degrees celsius of warming by the end of the century according to the climate action tracker an independent analysis of global policy if the world were to reach two degrees celsius of warming heat waves that used to occur once every 10 years would happen about every other year And those heat waves would be 2.6 degrees Celsius hotter on average. 
a UN climate science panel has said. So, look, we, the collective we, the global community, our leaders, whatever you want to say, we really need to get our shit together and limit climate change to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Frankly, I don't know if that's possible anymore. But 2.0 definitely is. And every incremental difference between 1.5 and 2.0 makes a world of difference. So hopefully we can get to 1.5. And hopefully I'm wrong, right? Hopefully we get to that and we get to 1.4. And eventually we get to this point where we are not only not contributing to climate change, but we're taking emissions that exist already in the atmosphere for the next hundred something years, taking those out. And all of a sudden it starts to cool and we get to this point where we're at 1.2, you know, hopefully we get to that. Mm -hmm. But if we can't, 1.6 degrees is a hell of a lot better than 1.7. And 1.7 is miles better than 2.0 degrees Celsius. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, it's it sounds so nice to like think about a future where we're like reversing climate change, but that is extremely far from where we are right now. So yeah, just better to fight like hell as we can right now. Yeah, it's not to say it won't happen because frankly, I think it will. Yeah. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. Absolutely. And hopefully your week does the same because Monday might not have been so good for you, but Friday is going to be great. And on Friday, we will be back with some quick hits to send you into the weekend. For the planet today, I'm Matt Norton. And I'm Nick Janusa. See you on Friday. Peace. Peace.